Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. The Invest in Women podcast is so proud to have Schwab Advisor Services as our sponsor. Schwab is passionate about helping independent registered investment advisors find new ways to grow their business and attract diverse talent to our industry. Explore your path to independence at advisorservices.schwab.com. Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series. I'm Antoinette Rodriguez, social media editor at Financial Advisor Magazine. Our guest for today's episode five Finding and Engaging Your Ideal Client, The Long Game and the Short Game, is Andre Consulting Group founder, Kristen Andre. In this episode, she will teach us how the best advisory practices clearly identify, get in front of, and engage ideal clients. She will equip us with both immediate and long-term strategies to get introduced to ideal prospects, and builds deeper relationships. Joining us from Hotlanta, welcome to our podcast, Kristen. Good morning, Antoinette. I'm happy to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So Kristen, I've read your amazing website and background, but for our audience, can you take us through the journey of how you form, you put together your uh, the Andre Group? Sure. Absolutely. I, I like to call myself a recovering advisor. So I was in the advisory space. I was a managing director with a large firm for a number of years. And I love, love, love this industry. I just found quickly that being an advisor was not for me. I so much more enjoyed developing the advisors themselves and their practices, which is why I stepped down in 2009 and launched my own consulting firm just to help the advisors really scale and create practices that were their own. So the highest and best use of time. Highest and best use of time. (laughs) Absolutely. And and passion. When you take your your passion and make sure that it matches up with the talent track and hopefully a a way of making an income as well. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So you have a new book out. It's called, I love the title. You're not for everyone. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I had so much fun writing this book. It's my second book and you're not for everyone, but the subtitle is, but you can be for everyone. And what really drew me to it, it was both personal and professional. I had my, myself in my own life and my clients that have the opportunity to work with. We spent so much time. And I think we do this more as women um, than the men do. We spent so much time trying to be all things to all people, as opposed to really pausing and trying to figure out who are we best here to serve? Who are our people? Who can we best show up for and best help? And that's really what it was, is it's the journey to discover that you're not for everyone, that when you can really hone in on who your people are, you it's so much easier to grow your business. It's so much easier to connect and relate to clients and, and you have more fun with life in general. So that's that's really what drove me to write it. it was, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I like that term. I- your people. How do you define that? How do you find your people? You know, I think I have a saying I use all the time and it's not very formal, but I always say, know your people, find your people, love them hard. Because I think your people are the ones that light you up, that energize you. And with a lot of my advisor clients, what I was finding is 
they weren't necessarily working with people they enjoy. I would have them look at, do a simple exercise of looking at their calendar and say, look at your calendar this week and tell me who you're excited to see. And then I would ask them on the flip side, tell me who you're going, oh, I really don't want to see that person. And every advisor that I work with can name the, both of those groups. They know the people they love to work with and they know the people they don't. So it's really a journey to figure out who are your people. It's at the end of the day, your people in business for an advisory practice is your target market. But frequently advisors aren't aligning their target markets with the people they truly enjoy being around. So they're building practices that aren't sustainable. They're building practices that just are draining to them as opposed to really identifying their people, the people that bring them some energy. Yeah, that, that reminds me when I was a financial advisor at Merrill, you know, they gave you this uh, training manual and what you had to do uh, from a, a prospecting perspective. And of course, back then, I guess prior to when I started, it was all cold calling. So you ended up with all these clients and you didn't necessarily have any kind of synergy with the client, but right. they would buy the particular equity you were, you were pitching, right? Yep. Yeah. And that's no, I mean, for some people that work, there's certainly a subset of advisors and a subset of professionals in all different industries that they're fine just to to clock in, clock out, do the job, do the task at hand and then move on. But for most people, the ones that really hit the top levels and that are enjoying their practice and making great money, they're having fun with it. And I think that it's such a tremendous industry to be in, especially for women. And if we can really find where the fun is, it makes it sustainable and repeatable. You're not having to reinvent the wheel every single year. Sure. Yeah. Love that philosophy. Uh, what are the unique practices of the high performing financial advisors that you coach? I think what's unique about the highest performers and it sound, and this is another, like you mentioned coming into being an advisor, this was nothing we were taught. And it goes back to, they work with the people that they want to work with. So they're having some fun with them, but the most successful advisors I coach, they're not having to prospect. It sounds really strange, but if you build the practice the right way and surround yourself with people who are true advocates for you and for your business, the business ends up coming to you. So I'm finding that my most successful advisors are attracting more clients than they're having to go out and use all the te techniques and the language and stuff that we were taught early on. Because I remember everything I was taught at the beginning was great, but at the end of the day, it just wasn't me. It didn't sound like me. So I think my most successful ones are just, they're just genuine in their practice. Right. They're true to themselves. Very. And by extension, I know that, you know, my line of work as well, that there tends to be a mirror image if you get it right. Yes, that the, absolutely. The tone, the, whether or not the client is willing to accept your advice, the types of hobbies and interests that they have, maybe even yep. demographically, although I guess, you know, with Zoom these days, they can be anywhere. Yep. But for the most part, it is kind of the, those cluster and statistics that they show that there's clusters and overlays. Yeah. on it, right? Yeah, there definitely is. I'm, I'm starting to see more and more people. I mean, once, once we kind of all went virtual, we're now it's just opened up everything. The cool thing is there's no one that's off limits. I mean, when I started in my practice, and I think you're around the same tenure, mm -hmm. is that we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, I mean, we had the internet, but it wasn't as right. robust it is now. We didn't have social media. We didn't have Zoom. So now there's no excuse for an advisor not to be able to build a tremendous, tremendous practice focused around the people they truly enjoy and the people they get, they understand, and they're good at helping them solve their problems. Yes. It's funny you mentioned about social media. When I, when I started, LinkedIn had just started 
and I knew one of the founders. So oh. I was one of the first FAs to join LinkedIn. And I believe I was also very soon after one of the first FAs to get kicked off of LinkedIn by oh. compliance. So- Don't you love it? <laughs> I remember when this, when social media was new, it was in the early days of LinkedIn, yeah. I spoke at a conference and it was a panel and it was myself, like a FINRA regulator, an SEC regulator, somebody in a, like a legal person. And they're like, we want you to tell us what advisors should do on social media and we'll tell them why they can't. And I'm like, this does not <laughs> sound like a fun panel, but it's come so far. It really, really has, yes. really, really has. There's so many things you can do compliantly. Yeah, my, my compliance department said, and God bless them, it's the world headquarters, right? So we had to be extra careful, said that this social media and or LinkedIn won't really become anything. It won't really yes. be consequential. So it uh, won't 300 last. million people later. <laughs> exactly. So in your experience, what do customers and potential clients look for in a financial advisor? Authenticity. I mean, it's a buzzword. I think it's a little bit overused now, but it's true because all of my, what's been interesting is as an advisor, I had to go out and hunt for clients, right? We all do. We're trying to attract clients and hunt for them. Now that I'm not an advisor anymore, I don't practice, but I coach advisors. I have people coming to me all the time asking, Hey, Kristen, I know you work with an advisor. I'm looking for a new one. Who can you introduce me to? And every one of them, none of them asked me about returns. None of them asked me about products. They all asked me about the person. So they're really looking for someone that they trust, that they think is open and honest and authentic with them, but that they connect with on a personal level. So I've, I've never had any, I mean, I probably send out a ton of referrals to advisors all the time because I get asked so much and not one of them has asked me about all the things we think they want in an advisor, but they're looking for somebody they can connect and have a conversation with. That's going to be curious and genuine and ask them some questions. Sure, because when you think about it, financial, the aspects of your life that are financial are some of the most sensitive yeah. uh, points of life, right? So the yep. personal relationship and also, I guess, the life events that cause you sometimes to go to a financial advisor, right? And if you, yeah, and if they can't open up to their advisor, mm-hmm. or if somebody's just not telling you the whole story or they're fearful of you judging them or what have you, it may be good to, you know, buy a few securities here and there, but it's not going to help them from a financial planning standpoint or a financial advice standpoint. And, and to this point of invest in women, do you feel that women advisors have any kind of unique advantage along these lines? I do, but it's funny. And I, yes, yes and no. And here, here's why I say yes and no. Um, I think most females have a distinct advantage because we do tend to be a little bit more open in communication and naturally more inquisitive. So we ask more questions, talk a lot more, but we ask more questions. But on the flip side, I've seen a lot of females. I kind of, this sounds terrible. There's, there's two subsets. There's the group of women that truly come fully as themselves. And then there is also a group of advisors, female advisors that try to do it like, you know, maybe their male counterpart parts had always done it. My father was in the industry for 52 years. He retired right before the pandemic. And the way he had, his practice was, it was just the way they'd always done it. There was no changes. They weren't trying. He just, he'd had a very successful financial practice, but it was just what they always did. So I think the women who truly embrace themselves and show up and honor that natural curiosity, I think, yes, there's an absolute distinct advantage, um, but not all female advisors do that. Not all women advisors. And honestly, there are a lot of male advisors who are great at that, who truly embrace the curiosity and the personal side of the business. And 
they do fantastic as well. Right. And that authenticity is, is clearly what establishes trust. Yes. The number one thing that you need to be comfortable with a financial advisor and to share all the information and the personal details and the widowhood and all of the other things that will you know, get you in life, right? For sure. So when you're talking about long and short term or long and short game, what do you mean by that in, in this? Well, long and short game is something I, did, I didn't know this when I was still practicing. We are taught as advisors how to play the short game. And it's funny, I came up with this analogy and I'm not a golfer, which is weird, but the golfers will appreciate this, the long and the short game. We're taught short game. We are taught how to prospect, how to ask for introductions, how to get referrals right this minute that are going to help us right now. Where we were done a disservice, I think early in the industry or early in our careers, we were never taught to play the long game. We were taught, make the phone calls, get the person, get the sale, sell this, pitch this product, you know, grab this person as a client, gather these assets. They're all meant for the right now, for the short game. And nowhere along the line, at least for me, was I ever taught how to play the long game. And the long game is where you're building relationships and you're really trying to figure out who's going to be in your corner for the long haul, who's going to be your personal board of advisors, who are going to be your strategic alliances, both that you can partner with on various things, and who are going to be the cheerleaders for your business that bring you clients. Now, the advisors that learn to play the long game, that really can incorporate those things in addition to short game that's where it starts to get good and fun and sustainable. Because then, like I mentioned, my successful advisors, they don't have to prospect because they've spent years developing these long-term strategies or long game that now that now the fruit's coming, it's all paying off now. Right. Analogous to what we were discussing earlier, the transactional sale versus the holistic financial planning and the longer exactly. term, the bigger picture sale. Right? Yeah. And it's focused on the long game is focused on relationships where the short game is focused a little bit more on yeah transactions. So you need both. You can't, they're not mutually exclusive, but the, the great thing is the earlier you can start incorporating some long game strategies, it gets where the business becomes repeatable and sustainable. So the success comes quicker and it, it comes easier than it would if you were just focused on the transactions. What business development strategies should advisors pay attention to? You know, you, we hit on it earlier, social media. And I know this is still a tough one with our industry because of compliance. Sure. And I always try to advise my clients that my advisor clients, compliance is your friend. I mean, compliance is not out to get you. It may feel like it. They're really just trying to keep our booties out of trouble. They're trying to keep us from getting you know, sued or anything going wrong. So there are several things you can still do compliantly with social media. And I would say the things you need to pay attention to are engaging and monitoring. And what I mean by monitoring is not like compliance monitoring, but know what your clients and prospects and centers of influence are doing. Look at their social media posts, follow them, pay attention to what they post, the articles they write, the things that are important to them. That helps us gain a better understanding. So if we can use it to kind of monitor our, our people, then it gets a lot easier to engage and have conversations with them. And the second thing is to engage them, is to really have some conversation, make some comments on what they're posting, pay attention. But I think if you're not using social to engage prospects and clients, you're missing the mark because they're looking for that. They really, really, really are. They want to see your name and face other than when you're calling them to ask them for something. Yeah, I think a lot of advisors, when they post content, they forget about the social part of social media. Yes, that's my biggest. I totally agree with you, Internet. It, 
it's my biggest pet peeve because so much of the content I see, and I get that the content is written by the companies and our firms that we represent. And my, my hope is that the companies will figure out pretty soon that people reading social, they don't want to be sold. They, you know, financial concepts are fine to talk about, but I, it's funny. I'll read a post. I'm like, this is great. This is great. Oh, there they go trying to sell me something. So it's staying away from that. It's way more about the social part than it is about the media part. What are your thoughts on the personalization uh, posts? Like, for example, when you have a new baby, wedding, that type of thing. What do you think about that in terms of, like, for example, LinkedIn, which is a business site, right? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's fantastic, personally. I don't love the food picture. Like, I don't really care what people had for lunch, especially on, on LinkedIn, unless you're a chef. But for the wedding, yes, we need to know people need to know we're human. I think so many times for financial advisors, we, they, we don't get, to, they don't get to see our personality. They I've gotten so many clients. And even when I was still practicing, I got so many more clients that connected with me on something personal I posted than connected with me on anything. Now I don't agree with oversharing on LinkedIn, but I think what milestones, weddings, graduations, things like that are fantastic to share. Because you may have a client who sees the picture of your daughter getting married and says, oh, what, how did you do this? Because I'm worried. I've got three daughters and they're coming up and I'm worried about how much it's going to cost me to pay for weddings. It opens up dialogue and conversations that we wouldn't have if we didn't share that stuff. Sure. And, and indeed, again, those are the life events where financial clients would need you. Right? Yes. Would, would want advice, right? Those, yes. those, those money in motion events, if you want to call them that. <laughs> Exactly. A lot of money in motion on a wedding. Oh, a lot. I have three daughters. So I get, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about that. None of them are married yet. I'm a little nervous about that money in motion. It's definitely a hot topic. Are they through college yet? Mine, mine is a senior. We're beginning to do the drumbeat of the college tours. We have a lot of, we have a lot of graduations this next year. So back here in Georgia, our school start in three weeks and we start early August. But I have one that will graduate middle school, one that will graduate high school, and one that will graduate law school next year. So I am going to be buying a lot of graduation presents. So, Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations to those power girls. Money in motion. A lot with those. (laughs) A lot of money in motion, indeed. And I'm expecting the same for the next few years. In business or in life, what advice would you give yourself if you had to go back in time? I would, you know what? I've thought about this question a lot because I get asked this. There's so many things. Like, I feel like I wouldn't change anything because that's what made me the person I am. But I think I made all the mistakes, all of them. If you can make a mistake, feel like I've made them. The biggest piece of advice I would give myself is know your people and gravitate to them sooner. Is I, you know, in our 20s, we spend all of our time trying to please our friends. It's really trying to figure out the people who are on the same growth trajectory as us and align ourselves with them. And I would be, you know, I say it with staffing a lot. I always say slow to hire, quick to fire. I think it's the same thing with clients. And I think it's the same thing with our friends. So business and life is find your people, take the time to find the right people, quick, give all the time you need in in attracting and, and engaging with the right folks. But when they're not the right folks, cut them off a little bit sooner. Sure. So this has been fantastic and we've gone very fast. Do you have any resources for our audience and uh, how they can find out more about you? Yeah, I well, we talked about social media. I love social media. So I'm on all the platforms. 
except for TikTok. I'm supposed to be, my team keeps telling me I need to get on TikTok. I'm not quite there yet, but you know, I think I might be the elder statesman in TikTok, but I'm at Andre Group. Andre has two E's. So Andre Group on all social media. And our, you know, we have a couple resources that I think would be great for our listeners. I have a podcast, The Renew Podcast, and I have a community, The Renew Community. And it's really, both of them are personal and professional development focused. So we spend a lot of time with our community on giving them resources to help them grow in their personal life, their professional life. We talk a lot about the things we talked about today with client engagement and figuring out what's unique. I have a term I use called your uniqueifier, trying to figure out what's unique about us as professionals. So Anytime you want to visit our Andre group or, or the Renew community, definitely check us out online. And I like to engage. So ask some questions and have a conversation. And you have a lot of great adjectives. The un- unique fire, unique wackadoodle, fire. which I heard on your. <laughs> oh, you that's right. I say, you know what? I don't know if this, did you, have you not heard that term before? I say wackadoodle a lot. I don't, I'm in the <laughs> South. Mean, so I, we, we have, I think a little bit more, um, a different way of saying that. Oh yeah, no, I know. I've heard, well, I lived in Connecticut for a while. My practice was in Connecticut and um, for a number of years and it's different, the language here, you know, being in the South, I try to, I try to maintain my PG rating. So wackadoodle is in lieu of some of the words I'd rather use on air, but try not to, to keep my rating. So yeah, I have a few, but uniqueifier is, it's a word I coined and trademarked that we, I just really, I use it a lot because I feel like we've, especially in the financial advice industry, it's kind of a sea of sameness to a lot of the clients and prospects out there. They look, they hear the word advisor and they go, Ugh, they've already painted a picture in their head. So I really work with my clients to figure out what's different. What is unique about you? What is your uniqueifier? What is the thing that will stand out to your clients and prospects when they're describing you as an advisor? And it's frequently not even anything having to do with advice. A lot of times it's something to do with the advisor personally. On behalf of Financial Advisor Magazine, We'd like to thank Kristen for her contribution to our Invest in Women mission. To all of you, our audience, and to our sponsor, Schwab Advisor Services. Please join us for our upcoming podcast episode, which will be jam-packed with useful information to help your financial advisory practice. Thank you for listening to Invest in Women, the podcast series your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.